0: A medical doctor James Brown, tells the story. As we rolled five year old Mary into the MRI, I tried to imagine what she was feeling. She had suffered a stroke that had left half her body paralysed um, and had been hospitalised for the treatment of a brain tumor and had recently lost her father, her mother and her home. We all wondered how Mary would re- react. She went into the MRI machine without the slightest protest and we began the exam. At that time, each imaging sequence required the patient to remain perfectly still for about five minutes. This would have been difficult for anyone, let alone a five-year-old who had suffered so much. We were taking an image of her head, so any movement of her face, including talking, would result in image distortion. About two minutes into the first sequence, we noticed on the video monitor that Mary's mouth was moving. We even heard a muted voice over the intercom. We halted the exam and gently reminded Mary not to talk. She was smiling, and she promised not to talk. We reset the machine and started over. Once again, we saw her facial movement and heard her voice faintly. What she was saying wasn't clear. Everyone was becoming a little bit impatient with a busy schedule that had been put on hold to do this emergency MRI on Mary. We went back in and slid Mary out of the machine. Once again, she looked at us with her crooked smile and wasn't upset in the least. The technologist, perhaps a bit gruffly, said, Mary, you were talking again. And that causes blurry pictures. Mary's smile remained and she replied, Oh, I wasn't talking. I was singing. You said no talking. We looked at each other feeling a little silly. What were you singing? Someone asked. Jesus loves me, came the barely perceptible reply. I always sing Jesus loves me when I'm happy. Everyone in the room was speechless. Happy? How could this little girl be happy? Happy? The technologist and I had to leave the room for a moment to regain our composure as the tears began to fall. A couple of weeks ago, we finished studying the book of Acts. We've been at it since February. And we've heard the stories of the early church and the first generations of Christians, uh, of the power of God, the movement of the Holy Spirit, the excitement, the miracles, the spread of the kingdom of God. But we also heard about persecutions and trouble and strife. Stephen was the first martyr, the first Christian to be killed for his faith. James, the son of Zebedee was another and many others followed. Peter, Paul, Silas were imprisoned. Paul was stoned and beaten and run out of town on numerous occasions. And of course, later on, we know that Peter and Paul were executed. And even today, Or maybe I should say, especially today, Christians are put on the spot. Deny Jesus or die. Or worse still, convert from Christianity or we're going to cut the heads off your children in front of you. Now, what would you do? If you were given that choice, what would you do? Would you remain loyal to Jesus, counting physical life as nothing compared to the glorious inheritance of eternity that is ours? Or would you deny Jesus and get on with life? What would you do? Let me tell you, as a preacher, I grapple with this all the time. Loyalty to Loyalty to Christ in the face of persecutions comes up in the scriptures over and over and over again and so I have to preach on it over and over and over again and in my head and in my heart I say yes Jesus I'll stand true for you but then the reality of my human weakness leaves me wondering well how can I be so confident about that until I'm being put to the test how can I be so confident and so the temptation is to weaken resolve and say well, I would like to say that I would never deny Jesus and so I I hope I would never deny Jesus, but how do I know until that faith is tested? Persecution is one of the trials that Christians may meet in life. Now, James here, he's actually talking about more than that. He's talking about all sorts of trials. He said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. There are all sorts of trials, persecution, sickness, disease, temptation to sin, relational conflict, enemies who rise up against us, untrue rumours and gossip about us, betrayal, drought, cancer, infertility, the death of a child, unfair legal rulings, war, famine, cyclones, car accidents, character assassination, the loss of employment, a debilitating injury. Who here has never had a time of trial? We all have, haven't we? And of course, some trials are more major than others. And we all know that more trials are coming, don't we? Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation or do not bring us to the time of trial, but they still come, don't they? And, you know, we humans, we're always looking for a reason for these things. When the trials come, if something bad is happening in my life, I want to know what have I done to deserve it or God, what is the purpose of this? Are you wanting to do something through this? If a disease is killing somebody, well, we ask the question: Well, why does this have person have the disease and not somebody else? What's the reason? What's the cause? I used to visit an old fellow in, in the old folks' home, and he used to say to me, "What do I do to deserve this?" And and then he, you know, he'd then have a bit of a whinge about all of these aches and pains and general ailments that the elderly suffer nothing worse than anybody else would ever have but he he just wanted to know what did I do to deserve this oh there's nothing ever I wasn't a bad person and but then other times I'd visit him I remember one story he told me he used to be a classifier on the wheat board and he told me that you know whenever a, a cocky was delivering a load of wheat and he didn't like that person he used to have a have a pinch of poppy seeds in his pocket <laughs> and he'd do the sampling and just drop this pinch of poppy seeds in and, and sieve it out and, oh, sorry, you've got poppy in your thing and he'd reject the load and that had cost them thousands by the time they transported it to get it seed graded and, and then back again and, and, and this fellow thought he wasn't a bad man. Well, he obviously was, but he was expressing what a lot of us actually feel and believe. We're always looking for a cause. We're always looking for a reason. If this is happening, then surely there must be a reason for it. Or get this, sometimes there is no reason. James said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And the Greek word that James used there for meet, periposete, has a sense of to encounter or fall into a hazard and and we've really got to highlight this falling into part yes sometimes we do bad stuff sometimes we make bad decisions sometimes we, we sin against God and our sin can leave us with consequences sometimes that's true But very often the very worst things that happen to us in life, the very greatest trials that we face are things which are totally out of our control. They are not consequences of our prior actions. We've just fallen into it through no fault of our own. And what James is saying is when these things happen, count it all joy. When bad stuff happens, even if there's no reason for it, for that to have happened in the first place, there is a reason for joy. Now, what possible reason could there be? Well, I I could point you all the way to eternity. What's the worst possible thing that can happen to us? Well, we could die. And hey, there's a cure for that eternal life. Death is just a transition to glory. And that's true. But is that the only reason for joy? No, it's not. Here's the reason for joy. James tells us that through these trials, steadfastness does a work in us that moves us to perfection. These trials that we fall into are a testing of our faith. Now, it's an interesting word, that one. The word used for testing, di- Dicimion sorry, docimion. in the Old Testament, it's used to recognise coins as valid currency. All right? So is it true money or is it counterfeit money? It's a testing of the metal. And times of trial test our faith. Is it a real faith or is it a counterfeit faith? Is it a faith that makes us stand fast in Christ or is it not faith at all? You remember the parable of the sower, don't you? Some of the seed fell on the rocky ground and the crop came up, but it didn't have any root and it with it away, and Jesus said, "This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. and as our faith is tested, as we stand fast in Christ through the trials. The act of standing fast, trusting in Christ, glorifying Christ, worshipping Christ, never denying him, this act does a work in us, it perfects us. And it is an act, it is a doing word. And what it does is it perfects us. Would anyone here like to be perfect? I think we'd all like to be perfect. But what does it mean to be perfect? Let me tell you, the world's idea of perfection perfection is very different to to God's idea of perfection. The picture of perfection by the world's standards might be attractive, slim, sporty, straight teeth, popular, likeable, smart, fun, certainly not socially awkward or old-fashioned or dependent, and definitely not too religious or too righteous. But God's idea of perfection is very different. It's eternal perfection. He wants to perfect our character to fit us for eternity. You see, in God's economy, you might have a face so ugly it scares little children. I didn't think of anyone as I wrote that, by the way. Uh, You might be so unco that you are the only kid at school who could never properly catch a ball and you could never kick a footy straight. When it comes to IQ, you might be the bluntest tool in the shed. You might be the most socially inept person, somebody who finds it really difficult to make friends, somebody who you can't get anyone to talk to you and when they do, you don't know what to say back. The righteousness that you live by might mean people distance themselves from you because your righteousness makes them feel a bit guilty about what they do. You might be a bit boring. You might be the slowest runner. You might feel like the most unpopular person in the whole wide world and yet you might be the very one who is nearing perfection. How can this be? the sense of perfection is completion. Standing fast through trials does a work in us to perfect our character, to complete our character, to finish us off so that there is nothing in us that is lacking. We are being fitted out for eternity. As through the time of trial, our faith fixes us on Christ. Our faith leaves us knowing that The only hope that any of us have is the hope of his grace and his mercy and his salvation. A knowledge and experience that the Lord, our God, holds us. He holds us tightly to his bosom and nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's the sort of faith. That's where God is wanting to get us in perfecting our character. And this is why Jesus could say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's only when we're at the absolute end of ourselves and God is all that we have left that we can be made ready for the kingdom of heaven. As we give up all hope and every comfort that the world has to offer and all that's left, our only hope, our only comfort is Jesus Christ. That's when we're nearing perfection. But let me come back to where I began. What if I'm not sure that I am going to be up to it? What if when the time comes, when the trials come upon me, what if sitting here right now, I'm going, well, I... I'd like to think I'll stand strong and steadfast in Christ, but what if I can't? What if when the persecutions come, I deny Christ so I can live? What if when I lose a child, I can't keep trusting in the God who took him away from me? What if when I'm diagnosed with cancer all, cancer, all I want to do is hold on to this life and, and I just feel cheated that God is cutting it short and I'm just not even sure if God is with me. What if I feel like that if the time comes? And, and, and so the temptation we have is to weaken resolve and say, well, I hope I would never deny Jesus. I hope I would stand fast in faith but how will we know until the time comes? And there, right there, is the issue that James is addressing today. Verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James's answer for our assurance, for our steadfastness, is something that he calls wisdom, spiritual wisdom, godly wisdom. Don't you for a moment ever start to feel that it's your faith or your strength that will ever give you steadfastness? You're in trouble if you're going to rely on your strength and your faith. It's godly wisdom through the Holy Spirit who gives us strength. A strength that you and I could never muster on our own. It's an ability to see things from God's perspective and to understand them from God's perspective. And as I said last week in the introduction to James, we're actually going to see that when he talks about wisdom, it almost looks like he's just talking. it's another name for the Holy Spirit. And really that shouldn't surprise us so much because we know that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom. And so we have the question, how can you and I be certain that we will stand fast on the day of trial? Well... We start now by praying and asking for wisdom. Because as soon as we have this godly wisdom and we start seeing things from God's perspective and we begin to understand things from God's perspective, that's when the world stops having that influence and that hold over us. And so we pray and ask for wisdom and we stop doubting that God will give us wisdom. You know, so many people say to me, I'm I'm not really, you know, there's some people who just seem to have that faith and I I just don't seem to be like that. And what we have to realise is we have to ask for this wisdom and believe that God will give it because we are assured that he will give it. And so we stop wondering, am I that rocky soil that Jesus was talking about? Am I just like a crop that bursts up and yeah, I'm going well with Jesus while everything's good. But when times come, I'm not sure that I will stand strong. Will my faith just wither away? Stop doubting. Pray and ask for wisdom and understand and believe that when you ask the Lord for wisdom, he will give you his wisdom. You know, we hear often people talking about how to pray and right, you just have to ask for something, name it and just stand by it and, and, and God will give it to you. Well, let me tell you, that is only true if we're praying in accordance with God's will. right? But let me also say this is absolutely praying in accordance with God's will. He will pour his Holy Spirit out upon your life. He will increase your faith. He will make your faith the real deal. Don't doubt him on that. Believe it. To be unsure whether your faith is real or not, well, well, James is describing this as being double-minded. Pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you with wisdom so that you will stand fast in the faith. And if you have prayed this, don't be double-minded about it. I don't want to hear any of you ever, ever, ever again say, well, I hope I'll stand fast for Christ, but how will I know until the time comes? How will you know? It comes down to what we believe about God. It's not what you believe about yourself. It's what you believe about God. Yes, if you're saying, yeah, I don't know if I will have the strength. Well, there's the problem. You're looking to self instead of looking to God. And if you believe that what God has said is true and God has said, if you ask for wisdom, I will give you wisdom, If you believe that about God, then you know you have wisdom. James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But there's no reproach there. Don't ever feel that you're a bad Christian Or an inadequate Christian because you're having to ask God for spiritual wisdom because you you realize your faith is too weak. There's no disgrace in asking for this. This is exactly what the sort of thing that God wants us to ask for. You know, if sometimes you're praying and you just don't know what to pray, why don't you pray and ask that God would increase your faith? Why don't you pray and ask that the Lord would increase your wisdom? And we can be sure that he will answer those prayers. And so when you pray, ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Will I or won't I? Do I believe in Jesus enough or don't I? I've been asking for wisdom, but will God give it or won't he? Don't be double-minded. you getting this? Ask for wisdom and believe that God will give it. Don't be double-minded about it. And can you see the logical outcome? If you're not double-minded about whether God will give wisdom or not, then you won't be double-minded about steadfastness. You know, some of the songs that we've chosen today, we're singing things like, I will stand. We're singing things like, um, uh, what was the first song we sung? Um, I am, I am a new creation. Here in the grace of God, I stand. Right? I've, I've sort of chosen a few songs with the picture of us standing in Christ and not giving up. Last week, as I introduced James, I summed up that the drive of the letter could be summed up in one word, non-passivity. The Christian life is not a passive faith. It is a very active faith. For James, faith and works go together, faith and deeds, faith and actions, what we believe and what we do. And so if we ask for wisdom and believe what he says, we won't be double-minded about whether God is giving us this wisdom or not. And we won't be double minded that we have a true faith, a faith that is steadfast, a faith that will say there's no doubt about it. When the time of trial comes, I will stand fast. I will trust in Christ. I will not lose sight of this gift of salvation, eternal life that God has given me. My, My love for him is just as strong as it has ever been because his love for me has not changed either. And then, of course, that's when we begin to see our times of trial very differently. And all of a sudden we realise that hey, there actually is a very good reason for rejoicing. Because we've been going through this time of trial and we've been standing fast and we realise God has given me faith. I, I, I've asked for the Holy Spirit wisdom to, to increase my faith and He has. My faith is steadfast and nothing has shaken this faith. My test, faith is being tested and it seemed to be true. It's, it's genuine. It's the real deal. And steadfastness is doing its work in me. It is perfecting me. It is completing me. In the world's eyes, my experience is an absolute tragedy. They think that I've lost everything and that I know I lack nothing because God is my all in all. He is my everything. We need to encourage one another about this. We're pretty good at sharing the sorrow of those who suffer. But we also must Share in their joy and remind them of their joy. Because their faith is tested and proven to be genuine. In their steadfastness, they are perfected, completed, ready for the kingdom of heaven. And so we praise God. Trials, tests, steadfastness and perfection. We pray for wisdom. And don't doubt that the Lord will give it. Let's pray. Lord, today I want to thank you for your gift of faith. The gift of faith that you give us so that we can stand fast and true, just believing in Jesus, even when the trials and the persecutions come. And Lord... James said something pretty hard in that letter today. He said to count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. And Lord, we just confessed to you that usually we don't count it as joy. But Lord, I just pray that, I see Lord, together we want to pray, Lord, give us wisdom. Lord, give us godly wisdom. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and help us to have the sort of wisdom that we need so that our faith will be strong. So that when we meet those times of trial that we will be steadfast. And Lord, I pray that you would get that through to us, Lord, that we would, that we would stop questioning whether we would be a person who, who is gonna stand strong or or whether whether we're somebody who's going to deny you when the chips are down. Lord, we pray for the wisdom that we would see things your way and that you would increase our faith, Lord, and so that we would know and that we would be able to say, never, never will we deny you. And Lord, help us to make that decision even now. Lord, help us to decide even now that in the times of trial, in those deepest, darkest, most tormenting times that we fall into, Lord, that you will be our all in all. Lord, that we would be perfected, that we would be completed because we lose all hope in everything that the world has to offer. and Our total hope is in you. Lord, bring us to that place. And we believe that you will and we believe that you have. So from this day forth we are no longer a people who will say we hope. We hope we'll stand strong. But we have begun to stand strong and we will continue to stand strong. We will be steadfast in faith because your wisdom is in us. Amen. Mieus?